0: Hi and welcome to The Musician's Toolbox. I'm Angela and I'm Andrew and we wanted to welcome you back because we had the holiday season and we're so excited that you came back for a second season with us. We hope that you had a happy new year and if you're a new person here, if you found us through one of our mini episodes that we created, um, we are The Musician's Toolbox and what we do is we interview people that can help us create more tools to be more successful musicians uh, every week, and create a, a toolbox that has better tools, basically. And um, this this podcast is for any kind of musician, uh, the entrepreneur, uh, professional musicians, aspiring musicians. If you're a student, so we'd love for you to tune in with us every week and be a part of our show. The other thing is uh, those mini episodes that we did. If you're thinking of a topic that you would like to hear about, please please message us on our social media platform or at our email and let us know. We are more than open to any suggestions that you would find more helpful for you. So we, uh, we would love for new input on further episodes that we'll do for those mini episodes. And now Andrew's gonna tell us about our first episode of 2021. Yes, we are
1: so excited. Well, I am so excited and I think you guys should be too. Today we are talking to Dr. John Deloney. And if you do not know who he is, let me tell you about him. He is a Dave Ramsey personality. We are just bringing the super hot stuff here. Pretty much. And um, Big guns. And he, his show has exploded. Uh, the show that he has at Ramsey Solutions, he helps people through the struggles of life. And he talks about mental health, stress, anxiety, and all those fun things. And so we're going to talk to him about how that relates to the music field. And along the way, he's also earned two PhDs and done lots of other cool stuff in universities and colleges. So we are just so glad you were here. Thanks for coming on, Dr. John Deloney.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome. And more importantly, I had an awesome (laughs) high school band. Yeah. We were incredible. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was about to say that and he had a high school band yeah. and right. Right. you also mentioned that you still keep in touch with the, your, yeah. your bros like yeah. once a week so yeah. music
2: music's still the number one thing in, in my household so it's good that's awesome mm-hmm. well
1: we like to start off by learning a little bit more about the people that we have and how they got to where they are today usually that's more of like how they got into music and stuff but since we, uh, it's a little bit different um, you can still talk about your music, but just uh, will you explain something that someone might not know about you or kind of where you got to where you are today, just a little bit of background.
2: I, I honestly think so. Right now I um, am the host of a radio show. I co-host the Dave Ramsey show with Dave and do all sorts of media interviews and studying and learning and walking alongside people with mental health relationship issues and just helping people figure out the next right, crooked, wobbly thing to do in this weird adventure that we're all living. Mm -hmm. Um, If I were to go back and find out where that all started, so much of that is rooted in a friendship I had in middle school with a guy named JC Consolation. Mm -hmm. And his dad owned a music studio. And it's one of those things when you're a kid, you don't know that not everybody lives this way. But after school, we'd go to his dad's music studio and there was just a wall of guitars and oh i'd pull a bass or a guitar off and we'd go into a studio and we would record old poison songs or guns and Roses songs and he would teach me this chord because we couldn't move past we couldn't go any further than that song without this chord and then i signed up for middle school choir and learned how to work as a team and learned how to perform and you start to learn the difference between just being on stage and being silly and learning how much work goes on behind closed doors and how to actually learn how to play and how to work as a team and how to sing on pitch and all those things. And that carried me through. So I've, I've always been a big athletic guy. And so I played high school sports, but I also did high school choir all the way through because I thought that balance of art was so important. And I've been playing guitar for, I don't know, 30 years now, a long, long time. Wow. And I the lessons I learned now all were rooted in you have to practice your instrument, you have to both be able to be technically proficient and connect with an audience, and you have to work as a team. And you may write the greatest song, but if your band thinks that song is terrible, it's not gonna make it into, the, into, the, into the, uh, the, you know, the playlist, right? And so on and so forth. And so um, I, w- I would suggest that a lot of the basis for my grad school and my marriage, all that stuff was rooted in working together as a team and learning how to play music way back in the day.
0: I um. I grew up in a home that had a lot of music, and it was a similar experience where you don't realize, like, later in my life as a teacher, there's so many things that I realized I had to teach my students that, for me, I just learned through osmosis similar to you. It's like, well, I can't play this song until I learn this chord, so... It's just time to learn it. And I also love that you can play guitar because Mm -hmm. I have tried to pick one up so many times and I just can't get past the bar chords. They hurt my hands. So anyway.
1: Well, um, moving on to some of the problems, well, struggles that musicians have. um, You talk a lot about on your show how we need to have people around us to support us and to speak into our life, as you would say, um, but as musicians, especially classical musicians, I think we shut ourselves into the practice room and we miss a lot of those um, experiences with other people. Um, so can you talk about um, the the necessity of having people around us and how we can balance that life of still still practicing and still working on it, but not shutting ourselves away from the people around us?
2: Yeah. So in terms of classical music, my little brother um, was a he went to college on a cello scholarship. My son plays violin. I think he's in year five or six now. So I've been surrounded by orchestral music, too. Um, The challenge with orchestral music, especially, is you forget why you're learning. You forget why you're on this journey. Right. And it becomes all about being first chair orchestral music especially, it turns into a competition. I gotta win this. And you forget that the goal is to be technically proficient in your instrument so that you can join all the other musicians to create music. And I think it's finding that balance between you got to have those hours behind closed doors where you're hammering away at yourself. And you always have to remember the whole point of all of this is so you can get in a room and play music with people. That's why we do this, right? and if you if you forget that part it becomes a hollow lonely experience and that's when you find musicians who are so depressed and so anxious and so lonely because they've made the the they've made the act of making music about winning they've made the act of making music about accomplishment and not about playing music
0: so as a follow up to that um i also think that when you are surrounded with a lot of musicians, so maybe we're picturing um, someone that's not in college yet, but possibly in high school or junior high, and you know you do have that whole first violin section or that whole cello section, so your peers, we want them to be your friends, but they're also the people that you compete against, um, but also are probably the best source of being able to find someone to speak into who's who's experiencing the same thing as you, or maybe you're at Juilliard and the same thing. So could you give us some tools of how maybe you could find or like watch your peers to find someone that would be a good, a good fit of a person that could speak into your life or, Mm. you know, an accountability person. Mm. um, And maybe give us some ideas of how we could seek something out like that. What kind of conversation you could have to make sure that it's a safe, You know, does that make sense? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Some tools to do that. I think at first you have to make sure your identity is not in winning and your identity is not in accomplishment. Because if it is, every interaction you have with other people is going to be transactional because the goal is to be better than them. I, my first time I was ever on the radio ever was sitting next to Dave Ramsey, who's like Elvis in the in the radio industry, <laughs> yeah. right? The no first pressure. time I ever put on headphones and spoke into a microphone was in front of 17 million people. Wow. And my, but here's the thing. It was cool to have this job. This job is awesome. And I mean, it's like a scam to live, your, live this life. It really is. I love this job. I am not this job. And this is not my identity. Having the best podcast of all time is not a goal of mine. Mm-hmm. A goal of mine is helping people. And so I was helping people when I worked at colleges. I was helping people when I was in high school and I worked at Burger King. I was helping people, not with their diabetes, of course, or their their health, but so many people came in exhausted and in a hurry and trying to get to the next thing. And I was able to look them in the eye and be a presence and smile and help them out, right? So my life is about helping people out. If your life is about, your identity is in, first year, getting to Juilliard, being the best at Juilliard, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be a hollow life. Not that we don't want to have goals and accomplishments, but that's a hollow way of being. So then if my identity is in the right place, which is I want to be really good at playing music. I want to play great music that moves and stirs people. Those mentors, they emerge when that's your goal, right? Because you humbly can walk into a room with great musicians. I share an office space with Rachel Cruz and Dave and Chris Hogan. Those folks are all about, there's enough for everybody. How can we help everybody just get better? And I'm not in competition with them. I'm just learning, I get to just absorb this stuff. So really the question you're asking starts with me and not with other people. And then I wanna be around people who are humble, who are excellent in their craft and who are willing to share. So a story I like to tell, I was here about two or three months And there was a small event happening on the ramsey campus and so dave and hogan have spoke to spoken to millions of people they speak to sold out arenas all over the world and there was a small event happening on our campus for about 400 people and i saw those two guys on a stage practicing their speech Mm. a speech i can't tell you how many times they've given this talk but they were up there by themselves practicing and i thought that's how it's done right Mm. and so those guys are humble they are if i went and said hey how are you what are you studying they would show me their notes and so those are folks i'm looking for who are the top of their game and even they are still trying to sharpen the point of their sword just a little bit a little bit sharper a little bit sharper and they would love to help other people um learn how to sharpen their own swords
0: it's really interesting because i feel like as we've spoken to people who really excel in whatever it is that they're doing um whether they're a professor at a university or you know, a public speaker like yourself. um, It seems like the two common themes that I feel like I hear over and over, which when I was younger and not as, uh, hadn't been around as many people and experienced it, um, was this perception of uh, scarcity versus abundance. Um, I found that in general, the people that I find that do really well in their industry do not have a sense of scarcity. It's always abundance and also you're not keeping it to yourself. There's always room to share. Please come and join. And, um, and I think that there are musicians that are like that in classical music as well. But like you said, I think that it's, um, it's something that I don't think it comes naturally. It's something that we have to kind of change. And I don't feel, I feel like in a lot of classical music studios, there are teachers that will turn their students against one another. So, um, you know, it almost breeds itself. And maybe that's an, an older school way of thinking, but i I know that that happens at major universities to students. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, I think
2: it's ultimately up to the students to create the inside the classroom culture and the outside of the classroom culture. So yeah. I spent a season, um, before it all blew up where I was training with a professional MMA team. And, um, that was one of my new adventures. I wanted to learn had to be in a fist fight and so i walked into a gym and it several years later man it was awesome but it reminds me of what you were just mentioning there were definite days that we got in on the mats and we went we put your you put your mouthpiece in and you put your headgear on and you went to town on each other right <laughs> you really got after one another and then when the bell rang you took that mouth gear off uh, your mouth gear off you took your headgear off and then you hugged each other, and then y'all went and grabbed something to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is moments, I think, in, in music when, man, that teacher pits you against one another. You wanna be, somebody's gotta be first chair. It's not bad to have that goal. It's just not wise to make that goal your identity. And I wanted to, man, when I was on the mat against somebody, he was trying to hit me, so I wanted to hit him, right? <laughs> um, but I didn't hate him, right? I don't want right. him to go to the hospital. I want to end him, right? But we're having a, we are definitely in competition with one another. And So I think it's being able to pull your identity out of that. I didn't want to be the toughest guy in that room. I wanted to become a better fighter. I wanted to become a better guitar player. And that's a different ethos. That's a different identity.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm. So you kind of
1: alluded to the next topic that we wanted to discuss about comparison because there is a difference between you know, striving to be the best musician or the best person that you can be but oftentimes I think we over compare ourselves to others and um and and then that's kind of just unhealthy for us mentally I mean I I think I've definitely struggled with comparison and oh I'm not as good of a musician because I don't do this or bu- whatever. So, I mean, and especially in environments like Juilliard or whatever, comparison and things like that is very prevalent. So, and and then there's that quote, comparison is a thief of joy or whatever. But what, what do, how do we battle that and how do we still kind of work towards, like, having that first chair and still having the stuff that we need to work towards, but also not really taking it upon ourselves and having that negative attitude towards ourselves.
2: I think the magic is comparing yourself to where you were yesterday. Mm -hmm. Compare yourself to where you were this time last year. And only you know how hard you worked, how much discipline you had and didn't have. Only you know that you had all these goals and then your mom got sick and then, or you lost your job and you had to go work three other part-time jobs to make up for that money. Only you know your circumstances and only you can truly compare yourself to you. The reality is, um, I can work out all day, every day. I will never in my life jump as high as Michael Jordan. He's got different gifts than I have, and he's got different genetics than I have, right? Mm -hmm. And my wife could practice for months, and she would never be able to just get up on the radio in front of 17 million people and wing it with Dave Ramsey. That's not how her head is wired, that's not how her experience is wired, and she has no desire to do that. So comparing the two is, is of no use. And it's for me here, I had no social media when I took this job, zero, none. (laughs) And we just did the year in numbers in a meeting right before this interview. And we ended up with these set of numbers and everyone was cheering. They were, they were so excited. And my first thought was to compare them to Dave's, right? (laughs) Like I've got 25,000 followers on X zero to 25 in nine months is unheard of. It's incredible. And I'm looking at Dave and I'm like, well, he's got 10 million. Right? <laughs> and, and so, um, it, it solves nothing. It achieves nothing. And I think truly understanding the futility of comparing yourself to somebody else, it just simply doesn't do anything for anybody. It's natural to want to know where you rank socially. It, it's, it's part of our genetic makeup that's part of how we are as social creatures is to find our place in the in in order that's why social media is so bad for us because there's always somebody handsomer or wealthier or you know who's better at photoshop than we are right making their lives look perfect <laughs> yeah um, it's that one right, yeah. there. right? it used yeah. to be okay when we recognized that that guy was better at violin but now it looks like everyone's better at violin right and so yeah. all i have to say is it's natural but you just have to understand how completely useless comparing yourself to other people, actually. Mm.
0: I know that for me, um, right after I finished my doctorate, I flew to Europe with a bicycle and just spent two months completely unconnected to like media, basically. Like I had a camera and I'd charge it, but I didn't have a cell phone plan. I didn't get on social media. I couldn't do any of that. And um, I remember coming back from that trip and all of those things, because I'd kind of worked through them, you know, to different degrees, as you probably would through a master's and a doctorate degree. But um, just coming back from that, and I, I would look at myself every day and think, "Wow, you're you're beautiful." And then the idea of comparing myself to someone—it just wasn't even there anymore. It just it had just completely disappeared. So I I think um at least for me as a musician one of the things was that i had to do something that was non-musical that didn't matter like to my career because there's so much pressure where that is and just kind of like self-exploration which i don't feel like we take a lot of time to do because it's always about the next audition and it's about the next competition and the next seating Um, you know, thing that we're going to play. So So the,
2: the analogy that I think fits here is I've got friends who after working in colleges for years are athletic trainers at colleges and what the literature is starting to show the research literature about college athletes and what my friends who just work with college athletes all the time are starting to show is they are seeing joint overuse injuries that are common in 70 and 80 year old men and women. Not wow. an eighteen-year-old, yeah. and here's what here's what they're saying that's just profound, is that you we're asking three and four and five-year-old kids to specialize, and yep. our bodies were designed to, for you know, for lack of better terms, play a season of basketball and then go play baseball and then go run around and then have <laughs> nothing and then go fishing and right, and yep. not baseball, 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 baseball for eighteen years to the point that your shoulder doesn't work anymore,
1: mm.
2: and. What they're finding in these athletes is there was a benefit to doing something movement wise, athletic wise, but not baseball related, not dominant Mm -hmm. sport related. Even Michael Jordan talked about when the season was over, I put a basketball down. I didn't pick one up again until next season. I played golf, I went running, I went weightlifting and other things. So for a musician, it's important for them to put the bow down Mm -hmm. and go spend some time with poetry, go watch movies, go laugh a lot, right? join a theater troupe. Even at uh, several years ago, Georgia Tech, their, their programming crew, they, they took away some of the courses for their fourth year um, programming courses, students, and they made them take a theater class and a counseling class and a psychology class to learn how people think and how an arc of a character works, right? All of that informed the programming, but we're just missing out on this enrichment of, of a holistic life.
0: I think the only professional athlete that I'm aware of that could not diversify and cross train was Michael Phelps. <laughs> His coach said that he would was just he would hurt himself trying to run. <laughs> <and> he just <laughs> fall over. But I mean, I trained uh, quite extensively when I was uh, in my grad program as well. And one of the people, two of the girls at the gym, they were heptathletes that were doing the Olympic trials and. They played volleyball in high school. They didn't yeah. even do heptathlon. You know? Of so, course,
2: of course. Yeah, yeah
0: it's really interesting. Yeah.
2: Sure. But it, it just, it's just being able to um, trust that a minute spent not practicing is not necessarily <laughs> a minute wasted, right? right. It's yeah. actually a minute that is, there is an ROI on that. It is making you better as a person, as a thinker, as an artist, all those different, as a relationship, and that will come out in your music.
0: Well, and I think Brene Brown, I haven't read her book for a long time, but I think she also talks about the importance of play and us needing to have, um, you know, every single minute accounted for and a certain reason that we're doing it. That's also dangerous, you know, to a certain... Yes, we need to have accountability for what we're doing, but mm-hmm. if we can't find this place to just have free space and explore yeah. ourselves or our friends or, you know, outdoors or something... um, I think that, that 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 is part of the thief of our joy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's literally psychotic, and <laughs> I mean we've just professionalized play, right? With yeah. music, yeah. with sports, with computers, we've just professionalized. We keep taking these and trying to monetize joy, right? And you can't mm-hmm. do that. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, some something that I'm kind of struggling. I mean, it's going to be gonna sound like I'm a hypocrite, but <laughs> I really am starting to get tired of all the comments of this year and just like, oh, 2020, blah, 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 just all of it. But we're going to talk about it anyways. Um, so I saw this meme the other day, and it said, everyone, so excited 2020 is over. And then meanwhile, 2021, and it showed a bar sign with a repeat. And <laughs> I feel like there's, I mean... I think there's a real possibility that 10 days after January 1st or whatever, we'll just be back into the political junk and uh, um, uh, just the disconnect and all of the all the things that we've hated from this year. Um, so is there anything we can do? And I know some people don't like resolutions or whatever. I uh, don't like the idea of that. But is there something that we can do so that we don't wake up 10 days after and we're not back to all this hatred and strife.
2: So I think I think it's important to put on the table, the spoiler alert is, yeah, January 10th is going to be exactly like today, which is yeah. going to be exactly like last month. It just is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there will be more COVID drama. There will be more political drama. There will be more everything drama, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's natural to want... There to be an end to all this to put a finish line that's normal and natural but it's not realistic right yeah and so when it comes to what you're talking about that's been the key for me this year it's almost an old stoic philosophy you just control you right and decide mm-hmm. not the goals but instead the identities who are you gonna be right mm-hmm. so i'm gonna be a guy in 2021 who takes care of his body mm-hmm Ten years ago I would have said, I'm a guy who's gonna run two marathons and work out five days a week and whatever, and then two weeks in I've failed, I'm a loser, and I've just throw everything away. Yeah. But if I'm a guy who takes care of my body, then that means I also rest. That means I also am with other people. That means occasionally I just go bananas and eat half of a, you know, a key lime pie. And I fast for two days after that to right to take care of myself <laughs> and i work out most days and i eat right most right and so i think instead of saying i'm gonna be i'm gonna accomplish these things in this year that's unrealistic because we don't know what the year is gonna hold mm-hmm. but we step back and say i'm gonna be a person who doubles down on relationships i'm gonna be a person who wants to become a world-class communicator that doesn't mean i'm gonna have 11 speeches by 2022 right um because i We may not be able to meet in public again until 2022, so we just don't know those kind of things. So it goes back to who do you want to be on your way to going wherever it is you're going? That's Mm -hmm. way more important, and more importantly, you can control that.
0: I think it sounds to me also like you're saying that there is a change in the not that we stop setting goals, but in the way that we word our goals and the way that we um, set up expectations. I Mm -hmm. think expectations often can be very not healthy. Um, cause,
2: cause we move the goalposts. Yeah.
0: But just like oh, the goalposts uh, move
2: on us. right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So it, it, it sounds, I mean, the language that you're using makes me feel like the way that I was taught to set goals as a, you know, 10 year old girl is very different from the way that you suggest to set goals. Right. Um, because it, it allows for life to happen
2: basically. Well, and it also allows for the realization that the achievement of those other goals is relatively hollow. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to bench press 275 pounds. Yeah. The moment you put that bar up and you go, yeah, I did it. And then you tell like four of your friends and they're like, wow, way to go. And then what? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Even on the Dave Ramsey show, I've, we've taken calls where someone says, Hey, I was debt free six months ago. And <laughs> like, my marriage still kind of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they put their identity in getting to that number instead yeah. of putting their identity in, I'm the kind of person who's intentional about how I spend my money. I'm the kind of person who's gonna leave a legacy. So when I just drop dead, my family's gonna be okay. Those kind of, those those meta goals, those, those identities are so much more important and they're so much more valuable and rich. Um, and when you just suddenly die and your family, I mean, you won't be there to see it, but you'll know the conversation my wife's going to have is not how can I scrape up the money to bury my husband, but it's going to be, um, how can I give generously in this season of mourning? And those are two different universes, right?
0: Absolutely. What you were just saying reminded me of my high school boyfriend. Um, he just always thought he was so skinny. And so he would spend, you know, all hours and hours at the gym trying to lift weights. And I am someone that like, when I started working with a personal trainer in like three weeks, he's like, you're like a bulldog. You lift a weight and you just put on muscle. So that has never been an issue for me. Mine is like the opposite, but he just, I, I mean, for months would just, I just, I got to be stronger. And I'm like, okay, well, what is stronger to you? Like right what, what is stronger? Because y- you're, you're putting on muscle, you're getting stronger, but there's, you know, at the end of the day, there's not, nothing's going to be good enough, right? Right.
2: And so, so one of the cores the core functions of depression and anxiety is a inability or an unwillingness to answer the question what do you actually want? And not just verbally, but what does that look like? Right? What is the destination going to actually look like when you get there? It used to be that a six-pack abs <laughs> was a it was a marker that you were active, that you took care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And now it has become the goal, right? I will do anything I can. I'll starve myself, I'll take crazy supplements, I'll do whatever to get that thing where that thing used to just be the marker, right? So backing out and saying, what do you actually want? You want a life of peace? Do you want a a life where you can fall asleep at night because you don't have these looming anxieties that are spitting out all the time? Do you want deep friends that you can be open with? Like, what are you actually aiming for, right? And it just tends to clear up a lot of nonsense because it helps your, it, 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 it's almost like the yellow brick road. It lights the path up for you wherever you want to head.
0: How do you do that? How do you, because yeah. it, it is really hard for a lot of people to actually express what they want. How How would you suggest that, that we can even figure that out?
2: Sometimes it takes writing it down, right? Sometimes it takes getting with somebody to continue to ask you why. Like, why that? And then what's the, what's the... What's the actual desire beneath that desire? What's the desire beneath that desire, right? And then sometimes you gotta go see a professional to help you walk through it because sometimes you just wanna be safe. Sometimes you want to not hurt anymore and some of those hurts were put on you by people who were bigger than you and had more power than you when you were a child and you've got to do some work to get those bricks out of your backpack.
0: What if I've you know, identified five or 10 of those things that I want? What happens five years down the road and those have changed? What does that the, mean what does that say about
2: me if one of your if one of your identities i'm a person who seeks out adventure and i'm a person who says yes and i'm a person who loves trying new things then you get five years from now and you don't like guitar anymore you like you've moved on to wanting to make films that's a part of your arc right that's mm-hmm. that's what the beautiful part that made you you if you say i will record an album by the end of 2022 you're either gonna come up with a crappy album or you're going to do be disciplined and write and do it, put out something good or you're going to have a written a great album and then all the recording studios are going to shut down cuz of coke right so you're setting yourself up for these really harsh realities and it's unnecessary
0: so if that changes that doesn't mean that I'm having an identity crisis
2: no unless your identity <laughs> is unless your identity has been put in achievement right, right? Mm.
1: i think you lots of us yeah. yeah yeah and i see how you, it seems like a lot of the answers to these questions you're you're saying to ask ourselves, which is, I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which, like, what else are we going to do? like?
0: Well, when you hand over your identity to someone yeah. else, that's when you're unhappy. Yeah. And anyone that will take your identity and tell you what it is, is very unwise right. and um, selfish, I would yeah. say. I
2: or don't know if that's a good or, way to put it. Or they're unhealthy, too, right? And, right. Yeah, yeah. That's codependence, right? They, they're unhealthy, too. I think, so right now... um I'm in my early forties and working out for me is important. I still want my wife to think I'm super hot, right? I want all those things, but my goal now, my goal for going to the gym every morning is so that when I'm a great grandfather, I can get down on the floor and wrestle and play with my kids. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I spend money. Now I save money. Now I budget with my wife now, because I have in my previous jobs, I've sat with too many people whose husband or wife is passed away in the next room over and they look at me in the eye and they say, what do I do now? Right. And so I never want my wife to have that thought. Right. I don't ever want her to have to think my husband died on a Tuesday and I've got to go to work on Monday cause I don't know how we're going to eat. Right. And what I do is I just reverse engineer that and it becomes <laughs> about legacy. I want to be the kind of person that, and then I'm just going to reverse engineer it all the way back to right now. Right. And if I want to have this much money in the bank at the end of 20, if I want to be the kind of guy who saves, then I'm going to create a goal and I want to have this much money in the bank. And I'm going to back it all the way up and say, okay, then starting this month, I need to put this much money away. And if I don't get there, great. If I overachieve, great. But the identity is I'm a kind of person who takes care of my family, right? Mm -hmm. I want to have five to 10. I'm going back and relearning my old 80s metal solos because I used to love those guys. And... (laughs) I'm relearning some of them. Some of them I'm learning for the first time. And I, I have a goal of 2021. I want to learn 10, 10 of these guitar solos. Mm-hmm. But That goal comes underneath. I want to be a guy who learns new things. I want to get back and become a more musical guy. I'm telling my kids to be musical. We sing a lot in our house. We're always hollering and yelling and singing. I need to put my money where my mouth is. I want to be a guy who gets back into music. And that means I want to learn 10 solos. And that means I'm going to have to practice, right? Mm-hmm. I like
1: that. Hmm. So there's two final questions that we'd like to ask. Um, and I'll have Angela ask. Mm. Um, so
0: I would love to know, of all the things that you have accomplished in your life, what would you consider your greatest achievement or accomplishment?
2: Um, In July, I'll have been married 19 years to the same person. And wow. we dated for five years before that. <laughs> wow. And so weathering the seasons and the ups and downs and the near misses and so remaining not only a good husband but remaining connected Um, coming back from in seasons when I was not a good husband um, but remaining connected to one person deeply is probably my number one achievement
1: that's really interesting because I mean we have we have people who have done lots of great things like oh you work for Dave Ramsey or all these other things that you have achieved but it's cool to see how the thing that you're most proud of or great or glad that you did is not really those things that we see you yeah as
0: not the measuring stick uh, that everyone sees and puts on hey
2: guys this this stuff doesn't matter (laughs) i mean it's cool and it's Mm -hmm. awesome yeah um and it's a lot of fun and i say Mm. it doesn't matter i I think people are getting help on the back end i i know millions have been influenced by dave's message yeah. Um, the hardest thing I've had to do is humble myself and say I'm sorry and mm-hmm. say I'm going to try again and put my wants down in service of somebody else. And that's every single day. The hardest part about being married is that it's every single day. <laughs> yeah. hardest part about being no in vacation. love is yeah. every day yeah. I have to wake up and decide I'm going to be married to this person. And so that's hard, right? And so that's way harder of an achievement than just getting on Dave's show and making jokes. And, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And, um, or even sitting with somebody who's just lost someone they love to suicide. That's hard. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a snapshot, and then I get to go home that day. and mm-hmm. That's when the real challenge begins and the real joy begins. Cool. And finally, what is
1: something, or this might be something that we've already talked about, what is some tools that you would recommend musicians to put in their toolbox?
2: Make it a point on a regular basis to play music with other people for the joy of playing music. Mm -hmm. Number two, make sure, and I'm rattling these off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Number two, listen to music and poetry outside of your expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an old punk rock and metal guy, and I love, love, love rap, and I love classical music, and I love jazz, and I love... Electro- I mean, even electronic music now, especially the new lo-fi stuff is awesome. Mm-hmm. But when I was growing up as a metal kid, you only listen to metal because that's <laughs> all right? And every time I get into different types of music, it informs the music that I love to just make on my own. Well, and I yeah, have to
0: piggyback on that. Um, when I was in grad school, um, we got to have the winner of an international viola competition. She came to our campus and she did a class with us. Mm. And someone asked, what did you listen to before you went on stage for the, your final performance where you won the competition? And it was someone like Ariana Grande or yeah, Rihanna dude. or... Like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Lavigne. So That's what she yeah. listened to before she went on stage, and I was like, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, love that. Well, <laughs> so, most
1: classical musicians are the same way as your teenage, only punk rock self. A lot of the classical musicians are just like, yeah, classical music is the only real music or whatever, but...
2: And and the challenge with that is you Mm -hmm. just you live in an echo chamber and you don't have that real new growth where somebody comes in and just redefines the game because they're a hip hop artist who happens to play cello. Right. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Or they're a heavy
2: metal guitarist who then picked up a violin and put 20 years into it. And now suddenly they are doing something totally different. Mm -hmm. And those are the folks that I love and that are the game changers and that redefine genres for us. And then the third thing is is pay heavy, heavy attention to poets. Um, poets have a lyrical quality about how they speak, and that lyrical quality weaves its way into music in a way, and it weaves its way from the inside out of your body in a profound way. And if you don't connect music back to emotion, back to words, well, why are we doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, it connects our minds and our bodies and our souls together. So That's what I'd recommend.
1: Thank you. That is great. Thank you and so much. And go see a
2: counselor. Go see a therapist. That's a good yes. number four. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think therapy is healthy for everyone. Yes, yes. I would agree. Thank you yes. so much for making time for us today. Hey, really? appreciate you
2: guys. Y'all have fun. Thank y'all yes. for speaking out to musicians. That's wonderful.
1: Yes. Awesome. Finally, is, is if someone wants to find out more about you, where can they find you?
2: Um, you can follow me on the internets at John Deloney. Okay. And you can watch my show at... It's the johndeloney.com and, um, and you, I have a YouTube, they film it for YouTube as well. The podcast is anywhere. Podcasts are the Dr. John Deloney show and YouTube at YouTube slash John Deloney.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much. much.
2: Appreciate y'all. Have a great, great 2021.
1: for listening guys we hope you enjoyed that episode uh we're fairly new so we'd appreciate it if you shared it with all of your friends and you can find us on all the podcasting platforms you listen to and we're also on youtube so thanks for watching
0: is there an episode that you would like us to cover or a topic that we haven't yet? If you have one, feel free to contact us through our website, which is the musicians toolboxpodcast.com, or you can email us at the podcast The musicians toolbox podcast at gmail.com.
1: Yeah, and we also, for those of you who are watching our YouTube channel, know but we've got some amazing merch that we're not wearing right now, but it looks really sick. So we appreciate you checking that out on our website um, and also anywhere else you find leaks.
0: You could probably find a picture or two of it also on our social media accounts. Oh, um, yeah. And you can also find information about the next person that we're going to be presenting to you. So yeah. we are on Instagram and Facebook Great. and you can find us at The Musicians Toolbox.
1: Perfect. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye.